Hey, good people in podcast land. Welcome to Convene, a conversation series dedicated to connecting the creative community in Toronto. I'm your host, Chris Penrose, and this 16-part series is about the music ecosystem between Montreal and Toronto. This edition of Convene is supported by Factor Canada. For this episode, I spoke with Aisha Wickham, who is a program consultant for the Ontario Music Office at Ontario Creates. She was part of the management team that launched Canada's first Black-owned radio station, Flow 93.5, and has also worked in senior management positions with G98.7 FM, NIA Centre for the Arts, the Urban Music Association of Canada, and the Canadian Independent Recording Artists Association of Canada. Aisha also ran her own communications consulting practice and Goma Productions and has served on committees across Canadian music institutions, including the Junos, Factor, and the Toronto Arts Council. The first question I wanted to get into with you is if you could describe your role in the music industry in the city. And I know that role extends quite a lot. Um, so I guess the main focus is the role now, but a little bit about how you got here as well. Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me, Chris. And um, these are important dialogues to, to have to sort of move things forward in terms of, of the culture and the industry as a whole. Um, currently, I'm in a role at a funding agency called Ontario Creates. It's a uh, government of Ontario agency that's funded by the Ministry, Ministry of Heritage, Tourism, Sport and Culture Industries. And it's an economic development agency that invests in the cultural industries in Toronto, in Ontario. So uh, film, television, book, magazine, digital media um, and music industries. So I work as part of the Ontario Music Office in investing in Ontario based music companies. Um, prior to this role, um, I'll sort of go back to the beginning and, and draw a brief line to sort of where I am now. It's kind of been full circle over my career, mm-hmm. but I uh, was fortunate to uh, have an opportunity to work with Flow 93.5 uh, before it even had its license as the first Black-owned radio station launching in 2001. Um, I was able to start with that organization at the uh, application stage uh, when I was still in university at Ryerson doing radio and television arts and, and really understanding the process of the licensing uh, process and getting a radio station. Um, so my first, um, my second job out of out of university was working with uh, the Flow 93.5 team in pre-launch and, and getting that station on the air. Uh, what that rapidly taught me was the the gap in terms of artist development uh, for local artists um, due to uh, being the first Canadian urban station commercially. Uh, prior to that, artists only had access to community and campus radio on a, on, a, on a main level. And so there was a lack of understanding of the process of uh, playlists and how to you know, monetize uh, exposure on commercial radio. And then it being the only one as well, um, there was just a limited infrastructure for artists. Um, so from there, over the next several years, I, I veered my career more into the area of artist development and wound up running the um, Urban Music Association of Canada for a couple of years as executive director and managing the Canadian Music 
Urban Music Awards. Um, and then from there, working with a number of independent artists through my, my own consulting business, uh, Angoma Productions, where I did a, a number of, um, you know, grant writing proposals, marketing strategy for, for artists and, and just helping them to monetize that aspect of their career. Um, spent some time with um, G98.7 as well, the second Black-owned radio station in Canada when they launched in 2011. So I was very privileged to be able to to work with two, two um, pioneering radio station launches in Canada. And prior to joining Ontario Creates, I uh, spent some time with NIA Centre for the Arts, uh, Black Arts Centre, uh, representing all of the, the different art forms. Um, so my, my career has kind of spanned uh, broadcasting uh, right through to, to the funding, funding side of the industry. Well, and they're so connected in Canada when it comes to broadcasting and the funding realm and artist development. Those are all pieces that tie together really neatly, especially with what you're doing now. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that the on, work of Ontario creates and really investing in culture in Ontario is relatively new in terms of the scale that it's at now. Um, how long has Ontario Creates really been focused in making an impact in developing music in this province? So it started um, in the 90s as strictly a film development office. So it was originally called the Ontario Film Development Corporation. Then in uh, the uh, late, late 90s, it became um, much more broad in terms of um, representing m multiple sectors, and the name expanded to the Ontario Media Development Corporation. Um, there was a music fund for, for quite a number of years, uh, over 15 years before the launch of the Ont uh, Ontario Music Fund in 2013. Prior to that, it was a $1 million a year fund for, for music companies in Ontario, and in 2013, it grew 15-fold and became a, a much more expansive program that invested a um, significant amount of money into the full ecosystem. So the live music sector um, and artist entrepreneurs, which previously were not able to tap into Ontario um, Creates funding at that time, were now able to through the new OMF. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a reduction to the fund from 15 million down to 7 million, which is, you know, it's a it's a big change from what what the industry was used to for about seven years. However, it's still a significant um, investment in the industry, and and now the fund is called the Ontario Music Investment Fund. It's quite, it's quite a genesis. I think that um, you know, in the conversations we've had, it does come up as as an important part of the infrastructure and the landscape in in this province. So I appreciate you breaking that down for us. Now we're looking at Toronto in a more general perspective. And you've talked about the time of flow where there was just community radio previous to that and one black owned station. You had some time at G where there was two black owned stations in the city. And you've seen over the course of that time, obviously, Toronto's impact on the global music industry change. How would you today describe the state of the music industry in Toronto? I think it's as healthy as it's ever been from the standpoint of access to the consumer base. Um, healthy is kind of a subjective term. Um, 
because there obviously are infrastructure challenges and systemic racism and, and impacts a lot of the development of, of the infrastructure and access to the market from the more traditional sense. Um, but what you see on a global scale is breakthrough artists coming from this market in ways we hadn't seen um, before 20 years ago. So you, you, you now have artists that can go direct to, to consumers and build their, their audiences organically without the need for that support from the traditional infrastructure. Um, however, those two things need to work in alignment in terms of the, the traditional infrastructure, the the artist development system through labels and, and managers and, and access to festival stages and access to commercial radio. Um, so it's it's almost as if many artists within the urban music or Black music space have, have succeeded despite the lack of, of a solid infrastructure. Um, rather than because of it. And I think that a, a lot of the birth of that was, you know, in large part due to the way commercial radio evolved from the early 70s up until today, um, you know, fueled by the Canadian content regulation structure of the 35%, starting with 30, then going to 35, and some stations playing 40%. Uh, the makeup of stations with the first Black-owned station not existing until 2000 created a a demand for genres that were, um, let's say, not not very diverse. And so, you know, the, the staff at, at companies were populated based on the genres that they were fueling for, for commercial radio purposes. And that sort of history created a trajectory to, to where we are today in terms of a lack of exposure and, and access to those traditional roles at labels, management companies, uh, and other aspects of the of the industry. Um, so those are some of the, the systemic changes that that are going to change going forward that will help make the, the industry a more equitable place. Um, while we're seeing success on levels that we haven't seen for the top tier of artists sort of breaking through at that superstar level, um, there's only so many of those that you see. And, and when we look at the middle class of, of artists, there's still a lot of room for growth and improvement in terms of access to the traditional forms of infrastructure. And do you see momentum in that infrastructure that's non-existent being built or that infrastructure that does currently exist evolving to be more reflective of what you're talking about as that kind of middle class of artists making black music? I think that there's a, a level of attention on it that certainly was was uh, advanced further by, you know, the activities of last summer with the, the protests that evolved out of George, George, George Floyd's murder. And a lot of, um, it was a wake up moment for a lot of people who maybe hadn't given it the level of attention that it had had warranted for many, many years, uh, there was a new openness to, to sort of listening and, and acting um, because the acting part is, is the part that really makes change. It's, it's not necessarily the listening and learning, which has been happening, um, but it's the, it's the acting. So it's, it's the things like, you know, a person like Craig Mannix getting a senior um, 
director position at, at a major label where he didn't necessarily have access to budgets and his own team prior to that. And, and those are very proactive steps that are being taken that are intended to advance the, um, the presence of more representation at the employee level. So, you know, focusing on the behind the scenes aspect, not, not necessarily the artists, but those who help open the doors to artists to get those opportunities to be um, invested in and showcased on a national and international stage. So definitely some are taking steps in terms of trying to improve their employee makeup. Um, Granting bodies are, are taking steps to more deeply embed diversity, equity, and inclusion, language and assessment into their their program guidelines and decision-making structure, as well as assessing how to um, hold applicants accountable for uh, A, being being more inclusive with, with their activities, but also on the reporting end of it being being held to account in terms of how do those um, those stated commitments, how do they come to fruition? So I think mm-hmm. we're sort of in in the position of seeing a lot of that starting to come come to life in a more tangible way. Um, but you know, it took a long time for this system to be constructed that way, and it will be time to see systemic change occur. But there are things you can look to and point to that that show that that there is hope for some um, advancement. Speaking of which, a trade association called Advance launched last summer, which has a, um, you know, its sole focus is to encourage uh, or advocate for more representation within the music ecosystem in those behind the scenes roles um, at at entry level all the way up to the C-suite. And that's really the only way we will see that system of change. Yeah, I've I've loved seeing the communication coming from advance and seeing the, the conversations around what it means to bring together people who are in all kinds of roles throughout the industry in Toronto and who have so much history in this city and the music pointing to the things that would have the most impact and finding ways to push that change forward and then you know create that accountability so I think that's really powerful there's an executive director hire recently right yes her name is um Kezia Myers um Kezia Myers is a new executive director her role will be to have a seat at the table where a lot of those decisions are being made you know award shows and uh helping to 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 ensure that professional development initiatives are put in place and and um that the industry uh, for black artists is, is showcased in a way where uh, there are more people in those positions making making meaningful decisions about what the future of our industry looks like. And I think it's it's interesting too because a lot of what you just spoke about are are those things that um, are not necessarily on everyone's radar are not the um, obvious things or you know the like for example you know the way uh, funding applications are structured and the way that funders are doing reporting and those kind of things like changing that kind of thing is really mm-hmm. critical to creating the the opportunities for the more exciting part which is the music and the art but it, right. it feels like it's the the work of change is so far from the exciting parts of of the culture 
Totally. And I think a big part of Advance's goal is to um, make young people aware of just how broad the opportunities are within the music industry. It's uh, There are so many more roles than the artist. There's so many pieces to the puzzle that make the artist be able to do what they do. And uh, Black, um, Indigenous, and other people of color have not necessarily had uh, as active a role in that side of the business as is needed. And so awareness is a huge part of of building that um, representation, letting people know that, you know, young people know that you're making it as an artist is not necessarily the only way to be able to be successful in this business and to, de- to redefine what success means. I referred earlier to the middle class of, of, of artists. Um, it was a middle class in terms of making a living doing what you do and being able to make a living loving what you do is success. And so mm-hmm. it's not necessarily about breaking through internationally. It's amazing if we can do that, but really there is only so many spaces for that to occur. But there's a whole um, range of opportunities where you can build a viable and successful career doing what you love and touching the many different aspects of the ecosystem. You know, that goes all the way from record labels to publishers to booking agents, promoters publicity, digital service providers, there are just so many lanes to entry. And even on the accounting or the legal side that you can you can touch the industry and be a part of the industry without necessarily being on the stage. Well, I think the infrastructure in Canada, you know, from funding to major media bodies and such have been really responsive to a lot of genres of music that have allowed people to have that kind of middle class of music and, and that career within Canada where, um, you know, historically for black music, that's not been the case, right? Like you've had to go elsewhere or, or you've seen other genres getting support from the infrastructure in the country, um, Mm -hmm. in a different way. So it's amazing that that transformation is, is occurring. Um, and I think definitely we point people towards looking at the work of advance as kind of a, a base, to connect with. Um, For sure, certainly. One, one of the things that um, people talk about a lot is having to leave the city to um, make it. And I, I wonder what you think of the opportunity and possibility of creating more of an ecosystem and connecting more with other Canadian cities um, to create more of a base and to make a career in this country more viable. Obviously, the one of the closer neighbors is Montreal in that conversation, but there's the whole country. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? I think that um, mentorship is such a key part of how certain sectors operate. Uh, I know in the broadcasting industry, the, the, that was my way of getting connected to the milestone radio group was through my, internship at school and, and then volunteering and, and eventually working for the organization. And so those opportunities for uh, young people to integrate themselves into those spaces and then build careers out of it is such an important way that those opportunities uh, evolve. And so seeing people who look like you, who are immersed in the culture and are 
in decision-making positions to, to help open those doors uh, is something that, that needs development. And so part of the reason people go to other markets is to seek out those individuals that they can form a meaningful connection with. Mm. And so I think as those positions become more readily um, evident in in Canada, um, those connections outside of our city and our country will continue to happen. And I, I don't think it's an all bad thing. I think that it's important to to look at uh, your career from a global perspective, especially you know, given how accessible the world is through the tools that we have at our disposal with social media and streaming, et cetera. And so I think it's it should be encouraged to seek out those connections in cities across Canada and globally, where there's um, both a higher critical mass as well as m- more people experienced in those in those spaces that you know represent the passion and culture that that you're seeking um and so you know learning about folks through these networking opportunities such as you know even the the breaking down racial barriers series that happened last summer um i made some meaningful connections through there you know two co- two contacts from montreal uh wade goodson who who's now working at universal uh formerly at socan and and stefan morai uh, a lawyer, uh, former artist in, in the Quebec market. And so, you know, right now those connections are happening virtually because of COVID, but, you know, those are the types of ways to make those meaningful connections and, and to maintain those uh, relationships so that um, information sharing can can take place. Yeah, I think that's really powerful when you talk about the way that those connections between individuals that share, um, whether it's a connection and commitment to the culture or representation of identity, um, and being, especially when it starts to connect dots between different markets and different cities. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's that's a really powerful approach to starting to, to create more of an ecosystem between the cities here. And I do think that like, it doesn't, as you noted, like it never has to be an either or, especially in the age that we're in between um, having a strong local presence and having a global focus as well. Um, yeah, and I think it's 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 having the option to have both, I think is the healthy part. It's mm-hmm. when you feel like you have no option here, so then you're forced to go elsewhere. I think the healthiest part would be when people don't feel compelled to leave in order to have access. Yeah. Last year, you know, during the racial reckoning, we heard so many stories of, of people who in the journalism space left those roles because they, they didn't feel validated. They didn't feel a path to growth. Um, they didn't feel represented. They didn't see people who looked like them, who understood their lived experience. And so, you know, to some degree that that is mirrored in the in the music industry from this, from an artist standpoint where if you're if you're fortunate enough to be signed by a major label but you don't feel like you're represented in the sense of people pushing your career who really truly understand your lived experience sometimes that would might drive you to to go somewhere where you feel more um, embraced in that respect mm-hmm. so that cascades through through pretty much every sector when you look at what is representation and meaningful representation look like 
And it looks like having, you know, decision makers in, in positions that can uh, ensure safe environments where you have space to, to grow and, and show up fully as yourself. Yeah, and it, it's interesting you say that because I think that's that's part of the premise of this overall series about where we're talking about the relationship between Montreal and Toronto because, you know, there is that sense in a lot of... Um, that, you know, oh, I have to go elsewhere for a lot of artists and a lot of teams. But, you know, if you look at it, you know, what if those cities were more connected in terms of audiences, in terms of collaboration, mm -hmm. in terms mm -hmm. of access to infrastructure, you know, whether it's, you know, the the way Toronto ha has become a portal to a lot of American cities and the way that Montreal is a portal to a lot of European cities and um, exactly. French, yeah. French African speaking cities as well. And so what happens when those two cities become more of a shared base that if I'm, if I'm really known in Montreal, I'm going to be known in Toronto and vice versa. Now that base I'm working from is, is broadened. And stronger. And I think there's a lot of yeah. also, to, it's interesting you mentioned the news thing because earlier this year I was doing um, a project where I was reviewing local news for representation. Um, and there was a number of Canadian cities that I was asked to look at. And between Toronto and Montreal, when it came to, uh, there was, there's, major, major issues. But when you look at how local news is being delivered in Montreal and Toronto, they were both doing the best when it came to at least um, on-camera representation. Now, this isn't all news outlets. This was a very particular news outlet. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I think even when it comes to culture in both cities, that there is there is the potential for um, some of that synchronicity but um, I, I did want to ask you now around a very practical question. So if we're speaking now to somebody from Montreal who wants to connect to Toronto and from the lens of people, the lens of platforms, places, where would, what kind of a list would you give them or where would be some of the starting points that you would recommend um, to really get connected to the city? So, um, I think it's both from the artist's perspective and then there's sort of the, if you're trying to be part of the broader infrastructure perspective, um, you know, as a performer, you know, communities like Rise, um, Remix, Manifesto, Nia Center for the Arts, uh, entities like that, I think, create those soon to be, hopefully again, physical spaces where, where people can make those meaningful connections. Um, there are really so many trade organizations in, in Toronto, you know, headquartered in Toronto. Many of them are national organizations, um, Advance being sort of the newest of them, but, um, you know, organizations like Music Ontario that you can tap into to, to build that professional knowledge and, and, and be able to connect with current working professionals in those spaces. And to attend those uh, meet and greets and panel discussions, and um, you know, that's where a lot of those meaningful connections take place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Are there um, any platforms in terms of 
that you're looking at regularly to discover new artists, discover new music, whether it be uh, print or online media, radio, digital radio, um, terrestrial radio, any video platforms that you're looking at? It's really social media combing through um, Twitter and Instagram and sort of seeing what what type of buzz is occurring there. Um, and then on you know Apple Music, really looking at the curated content and Spotify playlists that are highlighting um, up and coming artists is is mainly where where I look to see sort of you know what's bubbling. I'm glad you mentioned the the playlist. I think that there's actually when you do look at it compared to a lot of platforms, the curation that we've been seeing in terms of representing Toronto, the sounds from Toronto and artists um, on you know whether it's Apple or Spotify, but those playlists have seen, been doing a good job at that representation. Yeah, and you know that Toronto Pride or City Pride is uh, is an important component in the success of any music market. Mm-hmm. Um, for Black music, hip hop in particular, you, you see how prevalent that is, and in, in cities that get on the map for supporting supporting their own by sort of waving the banner of a, of a particular city and the critical mass really getting behind that. And so now that you know, digital service providers have created that online space for that for that to happen. Amazing. Well, I have two questions left for you. Um, you do have like a very infrastructure level lens on things. What what would you see as you know one of the things that could be most meaningful impact in connecting Toronto and Montreal and the music communities? maybe from that infrastructure lens, like is there something that could be built or something that could be more connected or something that currently exists that could be enhanced that you think would make a big difference in connecting artists and music professionals from those two cities? I think, um, you know, the live music space is obviously having a, a really challenging time uh, currently with COVID. Um, but what when things are are on the other end of the recovery, and, and that's more of a, uh, a viable um, option again, is that that touring activity and, and connecting uh, venues and, and live music spaces. Um, that's a really important piece of the, the ecosystem is that mm-hmm. in-person experience that is, is really quite the most sustainable uh, aspect of the industry when it's in a healthy state, uh, that and publishing, those are the two the two pieces that continue, will continue to um, to drive to drive the future of the business. Um, it's in crisis right now, especially the live music space, but optimistically looking at what that that might be on the other end. And so, you know, looking at Toronto kind of as the headquarters for a lot of these larger. Uh, entities, um, both in terms of um, the label label system and all of the trade orgs and funding bodies are kind of headquartered in Toronto. Just you know, having um, that touring piece in place is really where the physical interaction happens, and um, and that's you know the way those relationships can be can be built and developed. They are still happening in the virtual space through 
you know, panel discussions and, and virtual meetups that are, that are occurring. But um, those in-person connections are, are really critical to that sustainable sustainability. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've touched on the importance of those relationships. And I know that there's a lot of energy around people wanting to be able to get back to connecting in person. And, you know, with a five hour distance between, you know, Montreal and Toronto, that that becomes more possible. I imagine there's going to be also, you know, a lot more people who do want to connect with other um, local cities that are not too far from Toronto when when travel, you know, is is more an option just because of how we might have been taking it for granted previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's hard to know now how we've been forever changed in terms of social norms with interaction and, mm-hmm. and closeness. But I think gathering in those common spaces is for human beings is such an important part of, of building those those connections. So, you know, national organizations are key to to making those things happen and um, those events that can be curated by national organizations that have a common goal that people kind of can um, coalesce around. Um, you know, many of the many of those initiatives are city based. So right. looking to those being more national in nature, like UMAC was um, when I was um, part of UMAC, it was, you know, what's going on in Winnipeg, what's going on in Edmonton, sort of those, the hubs across the country, Vancouver, Calgary, uh, Halifax on the East Coast, and, and the African Nova Scotia Music Association. So, you know, what are those um, organizations that are in place that that could play that role of, of connectors and mm-hmm. that have a mandate that are broader than, than a city focus, but are you know, federal in nature and sort of have that lens of uh, prioritizing those connections. I think that's a really important takeaway and something that can have a huge impact is, you know, people who do have energy around these connections between these cities, um, connecting with those organizations that have that federal focus that you've described mm-hmm. and yeah. and uh, seeing how you can collaborate because I think that's that is a really important part when you do have that mandate. Most people's mandate is, is very, um, you know, either like focused on an artist or focused on a team or focused on, you know, a company or focused on a city. Um, mm-hmm. So the, those that do have that national mandate are pretty rare. Um, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So my last question to you is just about this overall conversation. I know that you have an incredible, um, you know, legacy in this city really honored that you would be open to this conversation given all the things that you've been a part of over the years in Toronto. And I know your work has done a lot for Toronto. It's done a lot. It's doing a lot for Ontario now. Um, But I wonder how has this conversation where, yes, we are talking about Toronto, but we are also talking about the potential of this relationship between Montreal and Toronto and what it can mean to both cities. I wonder how if you're thinking anything differently, questioning anything differently, or um, you know what your kind of reflection is after having this conversation. Yeah, I think you know over the course of my career and life, I've lived in Toronto all my life, born and raised here, worked my entire, went to university here, worked my entire career here. So I, 
I am very Toronto centric in that sense. And, and so the conversation just has sort of, you know, opened, opened my thinking around how um, those cross cross municipal connections can, can further drive growth. Um, I guess I'm kind of spoiled from the standpoint of, you know, being in a city where it's kind of the destination point that people come to. And even though, you know, artists and people from here look to other markets um, globally for, for bigger and better opportunities um, in, in terms of the Canadian landscape, Toronto has much been a, a magnet of attraction for talent. And so looking at that being a two-way, being that being a two-way street um, is a really important point to, to continue to have on the, on the radar. And, um, you know, I, I got a taste of it, you know, participating in the BDRB series last fall and looking at that being a national conversation, more than 60 Black professionals from across Canada and me learning about folks in other markets and, you know, challenges being, you know, very similar in terms of um, the infrastructure issues in other cities, but also just learning more about what's going on in other markets and, and, and viewing those things as opportunities for growth is uh, something that this, this conversation has sparked again for me. That's amazing. I, I, I love hearing that. And yeah, that was, that was an incredible series. I, I think I caught 90% of the conversations and I'm definitely looking out for the report that is going to um, come out as well from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, that was amazing that that occurred. Yeah. And again, that having sort of a national lens and, and, and hopefully being able to make those, those connections um, with multiple cities and not, not being too Toronto centric. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um something that I had traveled across the country and I love Toronto. I love being from Toronto, um, Scarborough specifically. And, um, I, I heard that a lot, you know, I think that it, it's funny, like it transcends like with the Raptors. I think everyone in the country loves the Raptors. A lot of people love the Blue Jays, but, um, when you get outside the country, I think that that's something that, um, people look at Toronto as a space of opportunity. They look at it as like, as much as people from here feel like they have to look elsewhere. So many people from other parts in the country are looking here for opportunity and there is so much industry and opportunity here. And, um, I think that there is huge potential with us starting to, in this city, look at how we, how, how others to create those relationships with other Canadian cities. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and that it's, that it really is like a generative thing, a reciprocal thing. There's, there's so much that we, that Montreal, as an example, the more conversations I've been having that could really um, help us like the, the the way that fashion brands and music are connected and have amplified each other mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of served as like a global launching pad for artists to, to tap into other markets is like light years ahead of what we've done here you know mm-hmm. we have some mm-hmm. really great fashion brands but what have they done to launch artists really and vice versa, how have artists really like put those brands? And so now you're seeing in Montreal, a lot of brand recognition on the fashion side w- connected to artists and v- vice versa. Like there's different models like that that are pretty phenomenal out there. So 
Yeah, and I think that that's uh, it's an important learning piece for myself as well, being so Toronto-focused and not necessarily um, drawing those connections to the, you know, the Europe, the European uh, cultural representation that you find in Montreal, both with the, the, the dual languages as well as just the, the state of being there versus, you know, the way we operate here and, and looking at what are those nuances that we can learn from each other in terms of trying to to grow on both ends. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Aisha, thank you so much for taking the time. It's every single time I get a chance to speak with you or see you, I always feel really blessed by it. And, um, you know, I've learned thank a lot so much. in those interactions, but I've also learned a lot from you and through you from a distance as well, just seeing like the work you do. So yeah, I'm really grateful for you. I really appreciate that, Chris, and uh, continued success to you as well and all the work and education that you're offering to the community and always uh, bringing a positive vibe. Thank you for listening to this conversation and connecting with what we do through Convene. Gratitude to the team behind this series on the music ecosystem between Montreal and Toronto, Nabil Shash, Alicia Roberts, Martine Anon, and Sebastian Miller. For more resources on this conversation, go to watervision.com, watrvision.com. This project is funded by Factor, the Government of Canada, and Canada's private radio broadcasters.